0: Right, lads it's only right that we cover the craziest year in Irish football isn't it 2019 how mad was it lads was it was it the cra like no offense but both of you are on this this earth a lot longer than me aren't you like we have to admit that is this the craziest year ever in Irish football in living memory
1: I just, you first of all you're a cheeky bastard um s- second of all a beautiful yes, cheeky bastard a beautiful cheeky you're a beautiful cheeky bastard uh yep um I, I can only speak for myself, Martin, but I, I, I think, you know, you're on this earth even longer than I am. Way. Uh, and uh, I have to say, this is the craziest year I've ever known in Irish football. Irish football is crazy. I was only talking about this to somebody, uh, who, you know, why are you into Irish football? And as I said to them, and I'll say here now, Irish football is always interesting. There's always crazy stuff happening. But this was just like one after the other it was absolutely mental and it Cra- was
0: crazier it, than 2002 yes. crazier than saipan I, I mean that's one occurrence isn't it but crazier it, than that
1: this this was like an entire association brought to its knees this was a mad campaign qualifying campaign we we had players Ah, uh, it was just it was incredible the scandal coming out of uh Abbottstown was just unbelievable and it was like this constant drip all through the year and then you know you got ministers getting involved and everything it was just and the most important thing is lads you have to remember the most important thing of this year that this was the year that Lansdowne ie was found. Most,
0: most importantly it's kind of like it's it's like the sequel to that Father Ted episode where they have the the priest match you know the football match Mm. It's mm-hmm. Basically, basically, if Father Ted had an FAI episode, it would be this, wouldn't it? If they had an Irish football episode, it would be
2: twenty nineteen. Yep, yeah, this is right. Um, I would, as the elder statesman of the uh, Green Machine podcast, <laughs> um, and the wisest. Um, uh, yeah, this hey. is mad. This is mental. This. Um, we. This is a combination of the FAI's ineptness over the years. From. In a way, kind of foundation, we've always had scandals, even when the FAO was founded 100 years ago. Um, you know, when it was established, it was always mad, obviously, the split at the time. Um, but this site, so we've had Saipan, we've had scandals in between, we've had ticketing scandals, all sorts of stuff like that. This is actually the unraveling of the association. This is where this particular year, all the, all the, and we're still dealing with it now, and the repercussions of this, this is where it just was falling apart. Um, and very, very entertaining from the outside, um, which we'll obviously yeah. come into. I mean, there's not, there's a lot of football going on, but we're actually going to be talking a lot more about some of the politics and some of the scandals and basically lots of secrets kind of revealed. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it, it, it's a really interesting topic to kind of chat about. And I think in when we look back, Saipan has been analyzed and, you know, with 20 years on from that this year. Um, but I think when when we look back in a few years' time at this, this is going to be crazy. I mean, it's summed up very well in the excellent Champagne football, as we know, but still, there's, there's still repercussions to come from this, and we're still feeling this now, sadly.
0: Well, I mean, this was kind of originally planned to be a Mick McCarthy part five or part four, or whatever part it was going to be, the the second coming of Mick, but there was so much in it that it had to be an episode in its own right or a series in its own right. So this is the first of three uh, three episodes mm. with this with this series arc, so the, the craziest year in Irish football. But we can't really start off until we we talk about the tail end of 2018. So, of course, 25th of November, so Mick McCarthy reappointed as Ireland manager on a two-year deal, uh, approximately 1.2 million a year, and Stephen Kenny becoming the under 21 manager. And of course, it was announced that he would take over from Mick McCarthy when the Euro 2020. Plus one in the end, wasn't it? Plus one in the end uh, when that (laughs) campaign ended. And Terry Connor, and Robbie Keane, of course, assisting Mick. And Robbie Keane, as David says here in his fantastic (laughs) thorough notes, uh, coming in in the David Beckham role. What do we make of that appointment, lads? Because when I, like the previous appointment, Martin O'Neill and Roy Keane, I don't want to dwell too much on it, but I mean, that was my... My favorite manager as a kid and my favorite player as a kid. And then Mick McCarthy was, you know, all these nostalgic feelings. Like, I mean, you know, you know, I have a bit of a graph for the 2002 World Cup, one of my early football memories. And Mick McCarthy, I didn't like him at the time because I love Roy Keane so much. But as the years went on, I said, you know what? We played nice football under him. He promised us nice football. In 2018, didn't he? So what do we make of that appointment? And what do we make of the the whole scenario, this strange scenario? Because that's kind of the first controversy in a way, like a a manager getting appointed as the under 21 boss. And then all of a sudden he's been thrust into the senior job um, kind of
1: retrospectively. I actually liked it. Um, I thought it made sense at the time. Uh, You know, realistically, Stephen Kenny should have been installed as manager in 2018 when O'Neill had obviously lost a passion for the job, when uh, the Irish press dared question him um, after the 5-1 drubbing and asked genuine questions. And obviously, you know, he was very hurt by all that. Um, You know, he had this interest with the Premier League club, I think with Everton, and he had Stoke, I think, at the time. And they were only going to offer him, like, you know, interim deals, this kind of thing. And he wanted something a bit better because he is the infallible Mark O'Neill. Um, that was the time when Kenny should have been put in charge. He would have had a whole year of fixtures of used to get it right. He would have had the Nations League at the end. Instead, we went through absolute dross with O'Neill and Keane falling out with players. Um, Got very stale. It, uh, it was very stale. Very moribund to call it Alan Partridge. It was really, really poor stuff. And this would have been a perfect year for Team Kenny. Now, if we had a, had, if we had have had a decent. A half-decent CEO actually gave two shits about Irish football. He would have seen this and not uh, bowed down to a footballing legend. Martin O'Neill is a football legend and so is Roy Keane. He would have made the right decision for Irish football, say, you know what, lads, we need a change. We need a a fresh approach. Uh, And for me, it should have been Stephen Kenny taking over 2018. Now, of course, that didn't happen. And at the back end of 2018, obviously, we've got Mick coming in. To me, it made sense. And this is why, and we're going to talk about it obviously in in, in subsequent episodes. I can't be too harsh on Mick uh, for this period because um, you the, love the well, I do love Mick, and he's a lovely guy, by the way. Uh, he really is a that gruff kind of Yorkshireman thing. you know, he is a gruff yorkshireman, but he's he's such a lovely guy. And we'll talk about that as well um in subsequent episodes, too. but, Look, he's brought in by Delaney and Delaney says, look, we've got to get to the Euros 2020 Dublin. OK, and it's it, it should it's a lot easier now to qualify for these Euros. We've got if results go correctly, we've got a possible playoff, but we can win this group and or we can come second in this group. Just get us there. I don't care how you do it. Just get us there. And then after that, then we'll do the slow rebuild, which we're kind of experiencing now on a Steve McKenney. So. In a weird way, it was very, very strange the way he went about it, but I could see the logic, funny enough. Um, but I think it was a plan. The middleman, McCarthy, and middlemen, McCarthy and O'Neill, should have been out of the equation in 2018. Stephen Kenny should have been put in charge. Uh, Terry, <laughs> I keep calling him Terry Conroy, Terry Connor. Um, coming in as mix number two obviously makes perfect sense another gentleman by the way Uh, Robbie Keane I understood having him involved being an Irish legend um, but I didn't know about Robbie Keane then in terms of uh, the arrangement and obviously we read about it in Champagne Football what we know now so at the time I had no issue with Robbie Keane in charge obviously I say the David Beckham cheerleader role because quite frankly as we find out as it goes on um, he didn't do a hell of a lot in the training ground Um, so, and he's still getting paid for it, which
0: which, he still is actually. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I've gone on a bit there, but that's, I I was for this. I thought this in a, this made sense, although it shouldn't have come to this. It made sense to sort of like
2: pull the nose up, shall we say? Yeah. What did you make of it, Martin? I think this was the gentleman. Honestly, yep. Yeah. <laughs> this is the John Delaney gamble. Um, you know, he's well in, he's in bed with UEFA. He's got the Dublin Euro 2020 finals coming. Um, that he is determined for Ireland to be in, uh, participating in. He's under pressure after, um, the game, the dead rubber in Arus, where then they fired a bullet and they, you know, Martin O'Neill's gone, Keane's gone, seriously under pressure that night. Lots of Protests by the fans had started actually in the stadium that that night, you know, the the famous song, you know, they always cheat, they always lie. Um, That was aired that night, protest, banners, things like that. He was seriously under pressure. I think I alluded to it in the past. I I was with him at the game at one stage and he told me that Stephen Kenny had been offered the under-21 job. Um, So he was making decisions, again, to save his own skin, as we find out, in Champagne football. Um, I actually have a lot more, res- I had a lot of respect for Stephen Kenny that he was so insistent. I think this is gonna set us up going forward that he he magically negotiated this deal with John Delaney that he was going to be the successor no matter what. Um, that's great negotiation skills basically because contractually, then he sorted for that. Which we, I think, we are. Yeah, we're all Stephen Kenny fans. We can see the changes that have come since he's come involved. Um, so I think very good on his part. Um, the keen thing didn't really, you know, again, we found out from Champagne Football that he's got this crazy deal as well that he's going to be kept on after Mick. And that if, if the, once the Euro 2020 campaign finishes, it, it I think it was just an ultimate gamble. Um, by Delaney seriously under pressure as we'll come on, come to find out and in the backdrop of this we've got so much going on um, with you know, players who are eligible for Ireland or not eligible so it's just a real desperate situation for us to kind of evolve as a footballing nation at this time and I think Delaney kind of thought I'm going to get a safe pair of hands in here now with Mick the fans will love him because we've moved on, you know, 16 years or whatever it is from Saipan uh, Mick's done well. He's very, very well respected. We know what we're going to get. And it was like, I think Delaney saw this campaign as a bit of like a relegation battle. We've got six or seven games and we will bring a manager in who will get us the results to get us to the tournament. That's what he gambled on. Not He wasn't bothered about Kenny coming in and he couldn't afford to. As we know, we, we couldn't afford to rip up a script and go, oh, look, we'll actually qualify in 2024. Delaney had to make sure that we were in a good opportunity. Uh, Good position as possible to qualify for the Euros in our own backyard, which sadly didn't obviously come.
0: Yeah, so Martin mentioned a couple of minutes ago. So, Irish eligible players and that being part of the background of this year that that made it just that bit crazier. And of course, we're talking about Declan Rice. So, a week after Mick was appointed, he did say that he was absolutely delighted that Declan Rice was willing to speak with him. So, a few quotes here. So, from Declan Rice, this is the 3rd of December 2018. Uh, So Declan Rice saying Mick has spoken to my dad And he wants to meet me and my dad Which I said was fine I haven't spoken to Mick myself yet But my dad has There's no day planned yet There are a lot of things going on With my football at the moment I'm playing here week in week out And obviously there's my contract situation Which is a lot to take on at a young age So again the contract situation Seems to always be in the background Or or part of the, uh, the distraction And then these quotes from Mick I told you I won't even know what to do. Don't do it. it. <laughs> I won't do it. So Mick, uh, I told you at the press conference that I was going to meet him and that's just what I'll do. I'm delighted that's what he wants to do because if he said yesterday that he didn't want to meet, I, it would have been a problem. Um, so that was kind of the, the start of the end of that saga, I suppose. And on the 15th of January of 2019, so Martin O'Neill appointed as Nottingham Forest manager bringing Roy Keane with him so 13th of February, day before Valentine's Day I remember this so vividly, Declan Rice formally declared for England putting out a statement Um, do you want to read this out Martin? I'm only joking joking. (laughs) (laughs) so the quote here from Rice like so many people around the world I consider myself to be mixed nationality I'm a proud Englishman still hurts doesn't it lads Having been born and raised in London. However, I am just as proud as my family's Irish heritage and my affinity and connection with the country. Uh, <sighs> what heartbreak, a load of... heart, heartbreak the night what before. What a load Day. of bollocks.
1: Yeah. What a load of bollocks from that man. Did it come did it come from him? Did it come from an advisor? Oh, did it come from listen. someone else? Listen, there was a lot of things going on there. Um that, that lad. Listen, he's a quality footballer. And I remember actually watching him live against Arsenal. I think he scored a goal against Arsenal. And I watched it live. Yeah, I watched it live. It was a cracker as well. And I remember telling my boys, my boys back in Ireland, you know, this guy, I really hope we get this guy because he is a quality footballer. And they were like, no, no, he's overrated, you know, because he's, because, you know, I think we all knew he was going to declare for England. And I said, no, trust me, this guy is quality. And he was, and I, and I thought, yeah, I, I knew it hurt. It really, really hurt. But he had a contract situation. He had people in his ear. He's worth a lot more money as an England international. Uh, there, look, there's a number of things. He's worth a lot more money as an England international. He's at West Ham, which, let's be honest, it's West Ham if you've ever gone to it. Sorry, West Ham fans. It, it, it's not the friendliest of places. And, you know, we remember Combat 18, don't we? <laughs> like, Great bunch of lads. Yeah. Um. Not but really. yeah. Jesus. No. Uh. You know, there's all these kind of things. Like it's that sort of various that sort of club. Um. Then you go and you've got like the, the chairman obviously wants to get more money because he's worth because they know they're not going to keep hold of him. He's he's currently at the club in 2022, but he won't be there for much longer He probably will be at money night. He's worth a lot more money as an England international. That's yeah. just the way it goes. And listen. Twenty eighteen, he he saw what he saw around Martin and Neil Roy Keane. It was a shit show. Why would you want yeah. to be a part of that? Uh, but, but and...
0: we we spoke about this, like we spoke about this a couple of weeks ago, and it's it's the whole idea that if you are if you're Declan Rice and like I I've been I don't know if you've been to Abbottstown, lads, like I've I've yeah. I brought a couple of teams yeah. up there before and like it's 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 fine, you know, it's fine, but is the St. George's Park the, the FA headquarters? St. Mm. George's Park? Yeah. So yeah. imagine imagine going around Abbottstown and being brought around by someone like John Delaney. And then imagine going to St. George's Park, being brought around by someone like Gareth Southgate, and that Look, being sold to you. And all these incentives and all these sponsorship deals being sold to you and being being told that you're going to be this, that, and the other if you if you play for England. Like, surely, surely that was a big factor. That, and Surely agents were a player here as well.
1: Of course, listen, there was, but... This is Ireland were a shit show at the time, off the pitch, on the pitch, and the management take has to take. And listen, I've said this before on previous podcasts, it does make my stomach turn when Roy Keane sits on ITV, um, a, an ITV panel for England games. And he's going on about how this guy's quality is a great player. I'm thinking you were on, you were part of the management structure, Mr. Bad, Bad Cop. Right. You and Bad Cop were on the management structure at the time. You were in charge of the management structure at the time. And you let this guy or you aided this guy to slip through our fingers. So that really and I think he I think they get away I think they get away with too much. Uh, with and Roy King gets away with that a lot, by the way. And 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 I don't think he gets enough welly for that. Because he was part of that. He the the whole attitude towards Harry Arthur. And listen, there's been at there, there's been rumors for years the last few years of English-based or English-born players getting absolute. We spoke about it here with uh, Simon Cox um, on on a previous podcast. You know, there's yeah. there's been a bit of an attitude towards English-born players. Um, you know, so it's not a new thing. But Rice strikes is a bit of a gobshite. Doesn't know what he's. You know, he, he he's a young player, so he's he's obviously guided by agents and whatnot yeah. and management. Very impressionable. Oh, of course he's coming out with Up the Ra and all this kind of stuff, and then all of a yeah. sudden he's a proud Englishman. I, I, I don't, you know. And then oh, my, my gran and nan I'd love to see me you now representing Ireland, kissing a badge and all this kind of stuff. Now he's coming out with that. He's a, he's They'd a, be turning in their fucking grave. Yeah, he'd say as we'd say in Ireland, he'd he'd fucking say mass. He would, yeah. but great player. And unfortunately, he meant without Declan Rice, um, we'd be going back to Glen Whelan. Yes, Glenn, Glenn Wheelan replacing
0: Glenn Wheelan. So, Mitt McCarthy did have a few quotes in the phone call with Declan Rice. So, just to read them, out, I won't do the accent, um, even though everyone wants me to do it. Isn't that right, David? Yeah. So, I'd be waiting for the. I am. Um, I'd be, sorry. I'd been waiting for the response from December when I met Declan. McCarthy told Paddy Power podcast the horse's mouth. I just knew the longer this goes on, this is not happening. It was a blow. I kind of knew from meeting him. He was not going to join us. And I got that feeling. It was no surprise when he rang me to tell me. I'd been waiting for the response from December when I met Declan. I'd been in touch and I'd been in touch and kept in touch. So when it finally did happen, I had a bit of a snarf at him down the phone. <laughs> it wasn't, oh, thanks for letting me know. Good luck with that. I hope it goes well for you. It was, I don't know exactly what it was, but it was the opposite of that. Any ideas what it was, lads? <laughs> Any guesses? <Yeah. laughs>
2: I'm pretty go sure we can all guess at it. I mean yeah. fuck yourself. <laughs> yeah. I think I mean, look, I listened to you there chatting about about this and I, it's with regret and sadness I think that I kinda look back at Declan Rice playing for Ireland and um I think and I hope he is one of the last ones who of who can qualify for Ireland and has played at under sixteens, under seventeens, he's won awards player of the year awards playing for Ireland. I hope he's one of the last ones who goes for our system and is able to and changes his mind I hope it never happens again um I think it's it, it really saddens me to see the player he is become because I'm I'm yeah I'm gutted frankly, uh, basically because I think we could be building a whole team around him I think he's that good um, They knew he, they knew how good he was didn't they They knew how good he was yeah and and I think one of the things that's a little bit lost in this is you know he was, when he was Again, it goes back to the O'Neill era with him, where, you know, we were all, I think I was kind of, I was convinced he wouldn't, he wouldn't turn and go to England, I was convinced of that, and I think that's why it probably hurts mo- more than anything, because obviously seeing him as a brilliant player, but, you know, he played three times, he went and played with the under-21s, he learnt the anthem, he's kissing the, the badge, he's, all those things, I mean.
1: Joining the rare.
2: Yeah, all that kind of stuff as well. I think though you know, we, we do kind of I think another relevant argument on this is the pressure he's under from his club. I think we spoke about that before, um contact wise. You've got to remember as well he's best mates at Mason Mount, look how well he's done with England and stuff. You know, it's it's all those groups you're coming through at your club, we forget that. That he was brought up in the English uh youth systems with in club football. So, you know, he's 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 seeing players who are going off in England international duty. OK, he was going to Ireland national duty under 16, 17, as I said. Really, really disappointing, obviously, that he made that decision. I felt very sorry for Mark O'Toole, who is um, the, the scout well, the chief scouts in, in England who recruits Irish uh, qualifying players. Um, we had him at a guest uh, around the time that Declan made the decision um, that you know, and and this was when there was a lot of pressure being put on him in the media and stuff. James McLean was quite vocal. I remember at the time it was when he hadn't played for Martin O'Neill and he'd been hadn't been called up. I remember Kilban was quite vocal on this in the media, saying, you know, I'd rather play for a team 150th in the in the world or something. Just as it's my team, it's my country. It's not about the kind of glory of it in a way. Um, and and I think James McLean jumped on that as well and said, you know, and and we know James McLean's viewpoint as well. We've got remember he made the switch from the north, so. He probably had a good understanding of what Declan was kinda of going through in a sense. When Marco Tall met us in in London and he was kind of giving us a bit of a kind of background to you know, he knew Declan Rice and he said, you know, we've just got to give him time. I think like he I think he was very, very disappointed with the decision because he, he believed that he was gonna he was gonna declare for Ireland as well.
0: And they did had a very good relationship as well, didn't they? Great They're relationship close. and a,
2: yeah, and I think he, he was very hurt by it, and I, well, Mick alluded to that as well, that he rang him and, and he was he kind of mentioned the disappointment that Mark was feeling, I suppose, because he's obviously invested a lot of time in him, uh, you know, getting these lads going over and giving them that good experience. You're hoping they're going to feel Irish. You know, I know many listeners have be going, what do you mean they, they, they have to feel Irish? But it's given them that good, positive experience, and that's something now that we hopefully are finding with, you know, some of our qualif- dual qualification players now. You know, we want that. Kenny's spoken about that. Jim Crawford's spoken about that. Um, yeah. I think, it, yeah. Ultimately, I'm just left with incredible sadness about it. I think it from the squad as well. The vibe was from again, you know, people who I met or knew players, you know, around the squad at that time. They were there is this vibe of the non-born Irish players. They don't like that. They don't like being questioned on that. And when James McLean was publicly doing so with Declan Rice, that's just the the kind of synopsis of that was that this is going to end up driving him away. And you know, we were told at that time that um, that that, De- that James McLean had rang Declan Rice to kind of say, look, this isn't personal. You know, kind of clarify his remarks and stuff. I think that was something they were desperate to kind of get across to Declan Rice. Obviously, it's not worked out, and it's, it's obviously has for Declan Rice that he's qualified for England now and gone on to play in the European final. Um, but yeah, I'm just overwhelming sense of sadness that you know we've got this great player and he was in our grasp, and we never really done the business to get him yeah. involved enough. You know, tell him you are going to be the main man for us going forward. You know, I don't care. They should have had a game down in Turner's Cross if they really wanted to do something. You know, a big thing about Declan Rice grandparents from Cork or wherever it is that, that's the kind of stuff that you have to yeah. you can't let these quality players slip through our grasp and stuff, it's, it's interesting sh- yeah. they should have got the bow on and the shotgun <laughs> and
1: went, there you go mate get it. Yeah. Yeah. you know what they should have done they should have just named him on the subs bench and said, Do you know, for the Nations League he said, listen lads, um, listen Declan we just need to put you on, otherwise you know, we might get fined he wouldn't know the difference anyway, lads heads in the clouds, yeah. and then when it was like two minutes to go, just shove him on <laughs> yeah, yeah. Literally push him on. Declan, come here for a second, mate. Let me show you something. And Just fucking get him in there. Yeah, it's it's funny
0: as well, lads, because only a few days later, then so this is literally a week later. Uh, Mick came back to the press and he said, oh, "I'm trying to get Patrick Bamford and Nathan Redmond to play for me." <laughs> uh, <laughs> now, I think Redmond still actually qualifies, doesn't he? Like he only played one game in a friendly, and I think Bamford's gotten a competitive cap since. But I mean. That was just kind of it was it was pitiful at that stage, wasn't it? And and they were that bit older as well, so it was um, it was a sorry state of affairs and a very bad start to the year and a controversial start to the year. And then just to make things even juicier, we come into March, David. <laughs> do you want to talk us through the March? Because I know you're very very
2: uh, fond of this story, as as we all are, of course. Just just before David comes in and gives us the the politics of the FAI, another key point I would like to say from Marco Tool's visit to us was. I think uh, in the context of small margins, as we discussed on one of our recent podcasts with our players, now how they're doing on our, our, you know, on our Boys in Green podcast, where I was saying, and we were we were all discussing that, you know, we we claim and we praise the most smallest things that our players do. Marco Tull told us as well, like you know, it, it was looking back now, it's crazy. Jack Grealish, obviously, we know that he played on the race for Ireland. Harry Kane qualified for Ireland, and yeah. you know, we know if you look back at Harry Kane's. Um, you know, career, basically. He was on loan for lots of teams, Millwall, Leighton Orient, things like that, and Leicester. He, um, you know, he was really struggling at one stage in his career very early on, and he was being called up to play for Ireland, and then he got called back from a loan somewhere, scored some goals in a reserve game, and then made it, made, got, got a first-team call-up, then on the back of that, and then he just kicked on, and then he was never going to go to play for Ireland. That was it. Small measures, small margins like that. We were yeah. very close to getting some absolutely quality players what? who do qualify. Do you know what that was, though?
1: Right, and I, I know we, we. I don't want to because we want to kick on with this, but mm. that was just laziness. That was just laziness from uh, the manager, from the management. Um, so that would have been O'Neill, wouldn't it? That's just laziness from O'Neill. I'm sorry, I don't. I don't give it. I don't care what he did with Celtic, and you know Leicester and all that. You know when he came to Ireland. It was just laziness. And, you know, this guy, yeah, this is why we needed someone like Stephen Kenny coming in. I think if Mick had a, um even if Mick was in charge in 2018, he would have got Declan Rice on side, I believe. Because Mick is a very charming guy. And, you know, he's quite impressionable on young lads as well. If you've ever met him, he's a lovely, mm. lovely guy. But he just has a way, you know, about him. He does carry, you know, a little bit of respect in the game as well. And, you know, when Mick was in charge the first time in 96, you know, he he really, I mean, he even wrote to Rangers out of politeness just to see if they yeah, had yeah. anybody. Yeah, he so, did, you know, yeah. he, he was Jack Park 2.0 in terms of player rec- recruitment. And someone like Harry Kane, we could have had, you know, and we should have had Grealish. And quite frankly, we should have had Declan Rice. It's just laziness. And this is why anyone listening to this, and I'll stop ranting about it. And you're listening to this, this is why paying these guys, these rock star managers on rock star wages doesn't work because already they've got you over a barrel because they're this footballing legend. It doesn't work anymore. It's an antiquated system. It's an antiquated style and we need coaches. We need setups. We need to develop these players. We need to spot these young players. We need to get them involved and we need continuity from, from the youth teams all the way to the senior team. That's the way the the modern nations are doing it. That's the way we are now doing it. And anyone that thinks that we need to get, oh, no, we get this big name guy in or whatever. Absolute nonsense. And it's because of things like this. Yeah. Right. David, take us through the March. (laughs) Oh, sorry. (laughs) Um, I was kind of hoping for like a break in my voice, but no, never mind. Um, so basically, yes, now we get into the juicy details. So we spoke about our wonderful, fearless leader, Mr. John Delaney. Um, so essentially, Mark Ty, I don't know the exact date of this, but I think it was about a week or so, um, he got a tip-off of a check for €100,000 that was paid by Mr. Delaney. Uh, just landed
0: on his, it, Mark Ty's desk, didn't
1: it? Yep, just landed on his desk. Yeah. Very very watergate um esque. I won't say Marion Gate or anything, like that, but like very Watergate, the original Watergate esque and deep throat, giving him all this information. And uh, he was like, oh okay, this is interesting. But obviously, because pardon me, the libel laws in Ireland are so antiquated and they unbelievably favoured the rich and the powerful um as enemies of John Delaney I found out. Um, and then as O'Brien we're definitely getting sued, lads. Um, but basically, uh, they're 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 so geared in their favour. You know, you have to tiptoe around these things with a tweezers. It's like being in, it's like, uh, in a minefield. Like you know, it there no matter what you you've got to play with tweezers basically in a minefield, in this sort of minefield because it. it no matter where you turn, you you could step on the wrong bit and you're gone, and your your paper all of a sudden is quarter of a million quid down. You're fired or you're discredited. You're disgraced. So it was very brave for Mark Ty and uh, the Sunday Times to actually um, go forward with this. But anyway, so they said they would, and it could only report on the fact that this happened. We don't know what it's for, but John Delaney paid a hundred grand back to the FAI, but we don't know what it's for, and of course. Um, they gave John Delaney the right to reply to say, look, we're going to run this in the Sunday Times for the 17th of March. Um, what do you have any comment on this? But we're going to go with it anyway, because the FAI, funded by public money, blah, 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 public interest. Of course, 16th of March, he's out having a jog. or He's about to have a jog. And John Delaney seeks a high court injunction to stop it uh, from uh, against the Sunday Times from publishing these details. And basically Mark Tye is dragged down to uh, the High Court and I think literally the 11th hour um, they got the case and he got a solicitor, a very good solicitor. And the Sunday Times said, yeah, we're going to back you on this one, Mark. And thank God the judge, I don't know the judge's name, um, went in the favour of the newspaper because John Lame's running, because if that hadn't have happened, we'd still have this guy in charge of the of the FAI. Um, probably would, and nobody would be any advisor, including the powers that be in Ireland Sport Ireland, etc. This was a massive boot up the arse for football and sport in the Republic of Ireland, quite frankly. So, the 17th of March 2019, uh, the story breaks in the paper. And on the 19th of March, uh sport ireland which provides 2.7 million euro funding uh, to the fai every year requests urgent clarification from the board of the fai about the loan and payment because uh sport ireland were not actually told about this um you know they obviously give that money to the fai and one of the conditions is that if the fai do fall um into very hard times as we all know, they are now, they have to tell Sport Ireland. There was a similar situation with Cricket Ireland where the CEO had to actually pay a bridging loan, as this would turn out to be. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and people said, oh, well, you know, what's the difference? And Sport Ireland said, yeah, the difference is he told us. Because they had massive issues uh, because of test cricket, weather in Ireland's really bad, blah, blah, blah. All sorts of stuff. And Sport Ireland went, yeah, fair enough. We 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 understand that. And we got that. John Delaney had not told Sport Ireland. So that was gonna be the start of a very, very bumpy road for Mrs. Delaney and the FBI. Yeah,
0: and believe it or not, there was actually a bit of football in March as
1: well. Was there? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So
0: <laughs> uh and what what was it? So it was the Gibraltar match, of course, um on the in the car park of the Oh. of the airport so a one nil win for Ireland Jeff Hendricks scoring in the 49th minute and Darren Randolph with an absolutely world-class save but were the rumors coming out kind of that morning that John Delaney was going to resign or or was that kind of um or, or that he was going to kind of re-announce his position or something like that like what,
2: what kind of happened that day there was something that that kind of popped up that day Yeah, at this, uh, obviously, we'll come on to talk about the trip and we'll talk about the football, I'm sure, as well, because it's certainly memorable. Um, The rumours were going around Gibraltar that morning that there was going to be an announcement and stuff, and and this man was a man under pressure. John Delaney, you know, if you look back at um, Sports Files' photos, a lot of them are of John Delaney in the stadium, you know. Um, We found out a lot more, obviously, from Champagne football afterwards, what was all going on. Um, but yeah this was where seriously under pressure, under scrutiny, um, rumours that he was going to be stepping down and then obviously magically then it was announced that he created this new new role for himself um, within the FAI so he could remain responsible for dealing with UEFA and FIFA um, because he took great credit for that over the years and and to be fair to him he did very well for Ireland in that part with UEFA, you know we he was an impressionable voice on our behalf at UEFA. You know, a small nation like Ireland, let's be honest, we are, um, we were represented at the highest tables with it. He was really, really well respected by those organizations. Um and he did well well with them. You know, the fact that we had the Euros coming as well. Um, we had under underage tournaments that were supposed to be coming as well. Um, he was highly respected. It really under pressure here though. Um and yeah this was the unraveling um as we come on to find out um but just on on generally going to Gibraltar fantastic trip um this was mixed first game um lots of speculation before it obviously lots of demand for tickets this was a big pressure game attendance of 2000 at the, the victoria stadium um awful kind of pitch awful stadium to be fair you know it was two sides it was like next something seen the technical college or something wasn't it yeah. Next to the runway where they were landing the Hercules <laughs> uh, military jets um, during the game, basically. Um, it was it was just mad, you know, just totally windswept throughout it. Um, but ironically, really high security around the game as well. You know, we went up to the stadium um, the day before to have a look and see if the lads were around training, things like that, just to kind of suss it out, really, because there were so many Irish fans who were going to be there without tickets um and it was to kind of have a look and see because really there was no need for there was rumors going around that they were going to actually let people in um because there was not going to be any safety concerns with it only i don't know how they it's absolutely ridiculous the way for allow these kind of stadiums to host football to be honest if they can only accommodate two thousand, it was a massive payday it could have been for gibraltar they it failed the, it it bounce it, in. The, ball, the ball failed the bounces didn't it yep it
0: did
2: yeah, it, was the,
1: still it still was the game, game yeah. still allowed
0: to go Go ahead.
1: <laughs> I I thought it was shocking. Um, you know, I, I I didn't get into the game and I went on my own because I um I basically like uh, this was the start of Lanson Road. So Lanson Road the the Facebook page was supposed to be like a vlog, and me going around traveling all around Europe. And I wasn't very comfortable on the camera. I'm not I'm not saying I'm amazing on the camera now, but like at the time I was really uncomfortable. So I have a lot of footage, by the way, from this and I'm going to release eventually, probably on the anniversary of the game. I have so much footage of, you know, behind the scenes and all that. But I couldn't get a ticket for the game because it was I believe it was Gibraltar's first match. I might be wrong, Martin, but it was going to be held in Faro again, wasn't it? And they were like, yeah, Yeah. it'll be in Faro absolutely in Faro. Now, I hadn't met Martin at this stage and I wasn't a member of Risk London at this stage either. I'd always thought about joining, <clears throat> but just never got around to it. And I just travelled on my own and I didn't get in. But I tell you what, I remember telling my mates back in Ireland, my boys, and I remember just saying, lads, we'll be very lucky. We'll be lucky to get a win here. If we get a one nil win here, you know, take with both hands because this could be Lechtenstein. Um, excuse me, Lichtenstein part two, where we drew nil-nil in 1995 in Eschen. You know, this this could very well be. And you know what? Darren Ranloff made a world-class save when it was nil-nil. And people forget yeah. that. They moan about, oh, well, we lost Luxembourg under Kenny. Yeah, well, we almost lost to Gibraltar. No, maybe you could have fired on a, a response. You, you never know. But it, it was terrible, terrible conditions. There was no uh, stand at either end. Um, the wind, I remember getting off the plane. And just like walking over the runway, I what I did I did have a selfie stick. Christ, um, Christ. I know it's bad, isn't it? And um, the selfie the selfie stick broke because the wind was that bad. I went up to the stadium. I uh, don't know if you remember this, Martin, but there was an absolute god awful bang of shite around the stadium. Uh, <laughs> there was it was right next to sewage plant. Yeah, it was it. really bad. And and where you see. Um, the state, like if you watched the game back, um, you see that like the, the rock, the airports had left and you see the rock, uh, on the right. Oh, my hotel was up that road, like, um, on the back side of that. And I, I didn't realize this, but I actually booked a hotel in with the Gibraltar team. Um, I, I didn't know, like I came out of the gym. I just saw them going in. I was like, Oh, I actually tried to sneak in and, uh, the <laughs> man saw me just like slammed the door and pulled down the shirt. I was like, Oh, but, uh, I remember on the way over, Martin, I think we must have been on the same flight, Martin. We were, yeah. yeah. We were. We just didn't know it. And uh, <laughs> I remember uh, queuing up. And I was just standing there and all the fans. And yet again, I'm on my own. I've taken it all in and I turn around and stand, I just heard his voice and I turn around. who was with Jim Beglin. And <laughs> little did I know that this would be the beginning of a love affair that still kind of goes on today, I suppose, on Twitter. Um chatting away to him, lovely guy. I love Jim Beglin Like uh, he's one of my favourite him and George Hamilton, like my dream team comment commentary team. Um, probably Does he people. love you though? That's the question.
0: Does he love you?
1: Probably not out of Gibraltar, no. Uh, yeah. I wouldn't think so. <laughs> I remember anyway, started chatting away to him. Good as gold. And you know, he puts a thumbs up. And uh, I was like, who hey, are you putting the thumbs up to Jim? Oh, that's George. Uh, yeah, he's uh, he's in business class. Oh, okay. And Jim, obviously, I I'd imagine because he's like uh, freelance, isn't he? So he, George is in business class, and um, Jim was with the the mere mortals like ourselves. Uh, and <laughs> I thought, you know, I I really want to meet George because you know another another uh icon of my childhood, I suppose. And I remember when we I got I had a window seat, a so called window seat. Um, there was no window. <laughs> it was just like black gray plastic sitting on the end. Um, I was giving the poor mouth to anyone who listened. Oh, I don't have a ticket. Oh, you know, does anyone have a ticket? Of course, no one had a ticket. And uh, I remember we landed and ran off the plane and waited for George, and had a chat with George, and he was absolutely gentleman. And I remember then it turns out when I got to my uh, hotel that. Not only was it a Gibraltar team, but it was also where the RT commentators were and the Irish commentators were. So Kenny Cunningham was there with, with News Talk and uh, George and Jim. And I bumped into Kenny Cunningham. He got a picture of him. He was very good about it. Bumped into Jim and So, all right, Jim. I was like, oh, oh, all right. And hello again, George. And kind of looked at me and went, what's this fucking thing <laughs> doing here?
2: You <laughs> selfie stick.
1: You <laughs> have <me self-putting laughs> broken selfie stick.
0: <laughs> like some
1: teenage tourist. Yeah, it was really teenage girls. honestly. just needed a fanny pack on the front, like to really, I you know, <laughs> mean, my, my bicycle shorts are really, you know, and anyway, I remember um, I kept, I kept seeing them and I was desperate, desperate for a ticket. I remember actually even shouting down to, to Gibraltar team members like, were staying on my side. I had a window view of just the rock. Just steep Like you know It's like mountain view I open up the window And it's like Just a fucking steep rock Like, And you kind of look up And you kind of see the sky <laughs> It was really a Nice hotel though And I'm going to come out of a room And Who Comes out of the room um, Right across from me and it's fucking Jim Beglin, isn't it? I was like, all right, Jim. He goes, oh, uh, I think I've got a stalker now. It's like, no, Jim, this is my room. I swear to you. He goes, no, no, I'm only joking. I'm only joking. It's like, no. like you're probably not. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I, and I'm, I'm even with Jim. He's like, oh, Jim, I've come over, you know, to record this for my page, and Road. Have you heard of it? No? Okay. Um, <laughs> Jesus. I, I, I was shameless, lads. And I was like, oh, come over. Don't have a ticket. Oh, and Jim, he's a sweetheart. He's like, oh, that's a shame. <laughs> And I'm like, kind of looking at him, going, "Do you, you know, I was like, do do you have a ticket?" Well, and he's kind, of, and he's kind of like chafing closer to the stairway <laughs> to get away from me, and I'm kind of like, you know, my puppy dog guys. It's like, ah, oh, you know, I've come all this way, Jim, on my own, all the way. I'm an Ireland fan, on my own, no ticket. Oh, that's a have, real you, have, have
0: you seen? Have you seen the Inbetweeners movie? Um, the first one, yeah. And <laughs> you know your man who uh, they're over Amalia, and then. This guy he just appears out of nowhere, and he's he's like, "I'm here on my own and having a mem- having a mental time." <laughs> yeah. And they just and they just kind of keep bumping into him. That's you with Jim that, Bagley. That, <laughs> that is me. Um, and Adam, then just and your man your man ends up just and he starts crying, and his parents have to pick him up. That that's you, David. <laughs> that, that's just you in Gibraltar.
1: <laughs> well, I felt like crying because I couldn't get a fucking ticket anywhere, and uh, I messaged on the pe- uh, so he pokers off. And I was like, "Shit." He's going off to the game, couldn't get anywhere, went to the ticket, uh, apparently kept missing tickets. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know anybody, you know, and I I was literally on my own. But uh, this is not a great time. But I remember uh, I had to watch the game in Casemate Square in the worst, shittest uh, fan area ever. And I got stuck with these two lads from Ireland. Uh, I think it was three or four of them. They got tickets for the away end. And they basically said, your man sold them to him. And then he got back to him and said, you know what? Actually, I'm going to give your money back because I don't think they'll let you in. And they're like, oh, this guy is very smart. Oh, he's very nice, this guy. What a lovely fellow. I'm thinking, no, he's probably just found somebody who will give him more money for it. <laughs> you know? yeah, you've been played, lads. And, you know, if you didn't have a ticket, just don't wear your clothes and keep your mouth shut. Because you look the same, like you know. You, you, but, you know, Gervaltarians Girold, thought of them look English or Spanish, you know? Irish people look like English people. Just fucking say nothing. So I was stuck in Caseway Square uh, watching of these lads and I was just, I was trying to be polite. They were nice enough, but one fellow was off his rocker and the other lad just kept talking about fucking... He, no, he wasn't Irish. He was from Manchester and he kept talking at me. And I'm like, I'm trying to watch the game. <laughs> I'm trying to watch this riveting game of football while he's like, Young kids like start attacking me and kicking the ball at me and all this kind of stuff. Bastards, um, I've actually got. <laughs> yeah, they, they were bullying me. That uh, also that also happens
0: in the in-betweeners. Movie. Yeah, yeah,
1: there's a, a lot of parallels here. Um, a lot of parallels. But yeah, little fuckers like kept, you know, I'm standing there and this guy like forces this ball, you, you know, tries to do like a uh, nutmeg and he kicks this ball through my legs, like forces this ball through my legs. And we're going, do you mind? And he ran off and I've got pictures of all this. Um unruly little bunch of fuckers. Were
2: well, there many in the square then watching it?
1: Um there was Irish fans, it was literally me and these <laughs> two lads. And I had uh, it was really pathetic. I think I had an Ireland flag on me as well. <laughs> it was really bad. <laughs> and I just like, oh, you know. And I remember thinking, I'm just gonna watch it in the fucking hotel room on GBC. And I was like, no, nah, no, nah, I'll, I'll go out and watch it. I'll, I'll drink it in, you know, and everyone was in the bloody stadium and I I, didn't, I never got in anyway. So I, I just remember on the way home, I uh, I was coming home because I was flying back and then I had a few hours in London. And then I had to go, go and fly out to Dublin at 6am the next day, get the first flight out of Gatwick to Dublin for the Georgia game. And I remember just going home and I was... Walking on the over on the runway or, oh, yeah, I was walking towards the runway. I think it was on the runway and this guy just starts talking to me and a fella, I don't know if he listens to the podcast, but he is a member of Risk London, a guy called Joe Lochran. I do like him. He's a good guy uh, from Belfast. And he just starts chatting to me, as Irish fans do. And he was just like, I'm from Risk London, you know, and I told him I couldn't get in. He goes, oh, you know, want why don't, why to don't join, like, you know, they, they can help you you know, get tickets, you know, there's this, there's, this, there's this dodgy fucker called Martin and he always has these tickets and, uh, <laughs> and these connections, you know, he'll get you in there. Uh, no, he didn't say that, but uh, I remember going, OK, and it was really funny because we got to the airport and then we met more people. There's another fella, Jerome Murphy. If you listen, Jerome, I hope you're well down in Cork. Um, and I remember just they were telling these war stories about going to Anfield 95 Brilliant stories. Great. For, I I love just sitting there, believe it or not, with my mouth shut, just listening. I thought this is great. And then I was telling them about the Jim Beglin thing. Like, I can't, you know, I think Jim Beglin, like I keep uh, bumping into him and it's kind of funny and I don't mean to. And I'm literally walking in and our flight's delayed, right? We find out our flight's delayed and the, the, the later flight is now going to fly ahead of us. So, you know, which is really annoying. And I remember I walk in and I'm telling him about Jim Beglin. And as I sit down, it's this guy with a newspaper. And as I sit down. He just lowers the newspaper and it's Jim Beglin. And he looks at me and just goes, I think this is getting very serious now. I'm <laughs> um, like, Jim. And I said to that, "Like you know, when you tell him, I was like, there you go. Like, you probably thought I was talking through my arse. Like, there you are. This, this is proof. This has happened. Vindication, uh, what a lovely guy. Um, and his flight was ahead of ours, and Kenny Cunningham was there as well. And I remember it just goes to me, yeah, uh, because the next away game was in Copenhagen. He goes, Uh, well, I suppose you'll be staying in the land from me in uh, Copenhagen, you know? <laughs> it's like, like yeah. yeah,
0: it's like it's like Victor Meldrew in uh, in Father Ted, you know? I do not yeah. believe it, he's, just, he's bumping in some.
1: <laughs> yeah. It, it was just one of those, and you know, I felt excited to no, Jim, I'll be in your bed when you go home, mate. No, <laughs> um, sorry, wow. it's a bit dark. Uh, yeah, I didn't just. A yeah. Bit. bit dark, but uh, no, no, lo- lovely guy. Great trip. And i um, funny enough. I, by the time I landed and got off the plane, I'd actually put in all um, my details for the flight because it was a mechanical error. So it wasn't an act of God. And by the time I got off the plane, British Airways, because I was at the back, they make you walk all the way out the front. I had put in my, uh, rec- my compensation claim. And that actually paid for my next away trip to Copenhagen, so it was absolutely well chuffed.
2: Yeah, all worth it, all worth the delay. Martin, how did you get on in Gibraltar? Yeah, really good trip. Um, as I said, we were staying in Spain, which is across the border, so it was a bit of a pain in the ass having to mm-hmm. cross the border and then cross the runway. Um, but a good adventurous trip overall. We went there the night before, as I said, went to have a look at the train, the the. Stadium the night before, quite strict with security, shouted at us mm-hmm. to get out. Um, I think the whole idea of that was to kind of see so if locations for flags because you
0: probably because quite... you were nicking the corner flags again, <laughs> yeah,
2: probably, yeah. Um, but I think it was just more that people, a lot of Irish fans, were trying to suss, sussing out locations of uh for their flags basically on the match day. That, that's something that we. Probably a quite unique nation that we some of us think of that. Um, but yeah, really good. Um, lovely little harbour there, uh, kind of little marina that, um, was quite popular with all the Irish fans, a few Irish bars. The night before the game, we watched Declan Rice sit on the bench for England on his yeah. international debut. Um, so that was quite interesting. And, um, yeah, obviously, match day, you know, buzzing around the town, um, good atmosphere pre game, flags up in the pubs and everything like that. They, Certainly wanted us in there, um, you know. Had music bands on things like that, um, and uh, off we went into the stadium. Really, really good. Like I mean, I brought Keon with me. He was eight or seven or eight then, so he was in good form. I mean, it's just Gibraltar's a bit of a strange place to be honest. It's just like England, um, with you know the the bobbies, the police are all around wearing the, the English police uniform, so it's no different. They're not the friendlies, though, are they? No, they're not. Well english basically <laughs> ah, no. and stuff it is a little bit like that there odd there's a there's actually a tv program on gibraltar and the, the island or wherever it's called odd people i'll tell you that now um <laughs> it, from the tv show um but uh, yeah it was just a perfect backdrop for the for the football because with the rock i mean it looked amazing you know that that's the good thing about it some of the photos do look brilliant like oh, you've got this massive big rock and we went up that the next day and had a look around with the monkeys and stuff and flags and photos up there. But um, yeah, it was um, a really good trip, uh, to be honest. And one thing I would say is, uh, you know, the Irish fans in fine voice, it was, you know, as again, the football was a distraction from having a bit of a crack in the, in the bars and stuff. And after the game, I'll, I'll never forget, it's a nice story This about Irish fans and some of the Y-biggers, basically. Um, you know, we went back for something to eat after the game. The news was breaking that John Delaney was stepping down and had created this role. For himself, that was that was obviously well documented at that time. Um, but you know, we were you know we'd had a few beers celebrating the one nil win, I suppose, after the game, and it was like you know time for time to get home kind of thing. Look um, like for me anyway with my son there, obviously, um, and I was with a few other lads going there, and we said I would have a nightcap in this pub, but it, it was absolutely jumping, and I went up to the there was doorman on the door, like Irish fans in there, absolutely brilliant, like great crack in there, loud. Loads of singing, everything going on. Um, and the doorman went, You know, you want to be a bit careful, probably, you know, for, with him. I said, Look, I'm literally coming in for one. And if it's too rowdy, look, I'll, I'll have him in the corner. I, I'm not going to stick around long. I just said, We're coming in for one. I went in there and, yeah, like, you know, everyone's standing around singing and stuff. Like, there's, you know, music playing, obviously dancing around, all that kind of people on shoulders, everything like that. It is rowdy. I'm not going to lie, it was. But, this woman comes over to me, lovely girl, come over and said, um, she goes, Oh, how are you? And she started chatting to Keen and stuff. because goes, You're right. And she she just went, um, Do you like playing Nintendo? And like Keane went, Yeah, yeah. He goes, Oh, look, all the kids are down the back of this pub. And there must have been five or six little kids, all in Irish kits and stuff like that. And they are all like, it was like we created our own crash. <laughs> on an Irish trip at the back end of the pub where they were just sitting on Cs and like just all playing games and they were all like getting along, having a bit of crack, like jumping around a little bit. And it, one of the best things I've ever seen was, there was, I don't know what song, it was one of our Irish, Irish songs, it might have been Shane Long's On Fire, that one or whatever it was, but whatever it was, we had the kids, all the kids kind of got passed over shoulders and we're up on the on on um you know I've obviously found Kean had him like legs over my head um you know on my shoulders and all the kids just like showering around singing and stuff like that just absolutely brilliant and then we got out of there thankfully but it was it was just amazing because obviously people went there for the holidays and stuff like that so just but all good natured just absolutely brilliant crack um so yeah but then the other problem was, in you're trying to get home, and you're trying to get across the runway, basically. Yeah, and you're trying to find your way home. So, yeah, really good trip. I mean, we haven't really spoken about the football. The, the football wasn't brilliant. You know, Mick McCarthy summed it up really well. You know, he was just grateful to get out there with the three points. It was his first time with the team. I remember just the speculation for the game. We were talking about the fact that he was playing Doherty. And that's Doherty, Mr mm-hmm. Martin Tyler, um, with, um, with Seamus Coleman and the team. So that was a that was a good thing. Um, and, and I think like, to be fair to Jeff, you know, Jeffrey, you're one of your favourites. I know, Um yeah, you know, he took the goal very well. And, you know, it, I think, it, like I said, Mick was just happy to get out of there with the three points. Like yep. David said, you know, on them small trips, on them trips where it's a small fan base going, you're always running into good characters and meeting people. And yeah, we met Kenny and um you know uh, George Hamilton, absolutely brilliant. Jim Beglin, absolutely great. Uh, yeah.
0: So Mar- written, written Martin Tuchel, yeah, Martin Tuchel already, but immediately after the FAI did issue that statement uh, revealing that th- John Delaney has stepped down as chief executive, and had appointed himself as the executive vice president of the FAI with the responsibility for dealing with UEFA and FIFA. So then on the 24th of March, just a couple of days later, the Sunday Times published further details about. Uh, Delaney's uh, remuneration package A word I never know how to say So he'd be earning 360 grand a year So just a mere 360 grand a year And the FAI paid his 3,000 monthly rent over a long period Of time and the FAI did announce The new position will pay a lot less than the Previous one the poor bastard. So 26th <laughs> 20, of March then, lads. Believe it or not, another football match. 1-0 win against Georgia. Connor Harrahan scoring a lovely free kick on the 36th minute. But, of course, that game remembered for all of the tennis balls. I was at that game, lads. And um, I just remember being really frustrated. Now, partly... Uh, because I think it, it was a tense atmosphere, wasn't it? Very tense with the stuff going off the pitch, but also Georgia, who'd been kind of one of our bogey teams. But it did kind of contribute to a bit of, a bit of a pause before the goal, didn't it? But that was madness, that game, wasn't it? It was very bizarre, very, very bizarre.
1: Yeah, I remember actually being quite pleased uh, with the first half performance. I thought we, I had actually witnessed more football in those f- opening few minutes in that first half than I'd seen on, our, I think, the three games under Martin O'Neill.
0: It was um, the first time we dominated Georgia ever, and I mean yeah. we, we were very comfortable. We put, I think like it was Harrigan and Hendrick um, playing kind of in the more advanced roles, weren't they? And Whelan was playing as the holder, and Whelan was just sitting completely deep. The the Georgians just couldn't couldn't get any passes away because Whelan was just blocking the space. He wasn't. He didn't actually have to run much. He was just blocking the channels completely. And then Herohan and Hendrick were just pushing on. They're putting so much pressure on the midfielders because they used to dominate. Georgia would dominate the midfield, but but Hendrick and Herohan were just pushed on, and and it was very, very dominant.
1: Yeah, it it, it was very good. I mean, unfortunately, where I was um standing uh, front row behind the goal in um in the singing section, you don't really get to see it from an analytical point of view, but I just remember. We were just really pushing up and we were just around the box quite a lot. So unfortunately, from an analytical point of view, I, I couldn't really give you much. But I just know that we just seem to play a lot better. Excuse me, the crowd seemed to be behind it. Um, and I remember there was rumors of the protest. And I think Mick said, oh, I need to bring up a tennis racket. But, you know, please don't do that. That's not what we do. Um, that's I was happy with it, you know, the 33rd minute was the uh protest because obviously the, the 33rd team in the world cup and the bribe sorry uh not the bribe the um the uh the loan that never got paid back yeah, by FIFA. resting in his account just resting in the FAI account and you know damien duff as well A have time has given out about it not being funny but this is sort of this is the sort of thing that i think we needed um and, and i was very disappointed with duff who, you know, say, no, oh, you know, we almost conceded the goal. But th- th- this sort of thing needed to happen, right? We had p- people like Shane Ross up to this point saying about, Yeah, she said in 2018, and it's ironic, as you listen to, I think maybe part two, uh, Shane Ross comes into this series. But he was the Minister for, for Sport and Tourism. And he was given out, he was going on saying, oh, yes, yeah, John Lane, he's doing well. The FAI is a well-one thing. And... The the fans love money. Want to speak to like who are you speaking to? You know, is it that team down in Kerry that has the John Delaney Stadium or wherever it is? You know, is that you know what matches are you going to? Like, there's banners being taken down, you know, there's just people being threatened, being sued. Clearly, not reading the papers. Clearly, hasn't got a fucking clue what he's talking about. And so, we needed to have something like to say we're not happy about this. And we have to keep the pressure going. We have to garner attention. We have to get your waifs' attention. We have to get the press' attention. Now they can talk about it because of a a judge, thankfully saw in the favour of Mark Tai and the the Irish Times. And so, you know, someone like Duff, who never spoke out about it before, some of the ex-players never spoke out about John Delaney. They all knew what was going on under this guy. And not one of them said a word about it. Roy Keane touched on it in his press conference after the 2009 handball incident. And he touched on it and said, I wouldn't believe a word that John Delaney says. I wouldn't believe that man. Do you remember? He was the only one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. he was the only one. Now, to be fair to Keane, he touched on it, but then he he got into bed with him, so to speak. But I understand that as well, because you want to manage Ireland, you've got to deal with him. And that is what it is. But nobody said a word about this guy. And Damien Duff very disappointed with him, comes out and says, oh, the fans are. I don't know what the exact words he used, but I know he wasn't happy about it. Kind of criticized him. I think Richie Sadler was actually saying no. Like, you know, the, the fans are unhappy. They have to show their content. You're taking banners from these people. You can't have any banners out. You can't, you're not allowed pro. That's another thing that people forget. You weren't allowed to protest. Yeah, it's they would take dictatorship. Yeah, it was an autocratic regime um from the FAI from this guy, people were getting their banners taken off them in Denmark for Christ's sakes. Y- you know, the Stewards, the Danish stewards were taking them away. So you couldn't protest, so you had to do something. And yeah. you know, they were saying that oh the, the FAI stewards are very heavy handed. They're actually not. Trust me, I've worked in football in England for years. They're actually it's actually very um, the security isn't great to be honest with you. Um in in, in the Aviva in terms of like pat downs and stuff like that. You know, don't really do pat-downs or anything. But, yeah, they, they were right to protest. I didn't bring a ball in myself. I was there almost got hit in the head with a couple of tennis balls myself. But, look, if you get hit with a tennis ball, it's not going to do any damage, is it, if it's thrown by hand? So, it was kind of harmless in a way. But, no,
2: very poignant and absolutely, totally agreed 100%. Yeah, I yeah. think
0: the
2: frustration for, for this was that, you know, the fans felt they couldn't protest. And, you know, I remember just the amazing security presence in front of the singing section because they were anticipating trouble. And, you know, again, you know, there was rumours that this was going to happen and what sort of protest it would be. Um, Again, though, like bringing it back to the football, if you look at the goal, what I love about that is the celebration and Glenn Whelan Plucks this ball out of the air that was reminding me of Henry Shefflin back in the heyday, basically, Um, because there's tennis balls launched on at that stage in the celebrations, and he just catches it and then launches it back into the crowd. Um, (laughs) Absolutely brilliant! It's very, very funny actually. Um, But yeah, I mean, I know the Duffer thing and the Sadler debate afterwards, obviously detracted from the football. But yeah, I had some people the Irish fans who wanted to protest and weren't able to, and perhaps the you know the alleged. Heavy-handedness, and you can see the security and things of um, in front of the uh, the singing section, as I said, and yeah, I mean, it, it was just we didn't, they didn't really have a voice and stuff, and I understand that, um, but again, I think the whole point of it was it, it, it's going to distract from the football, and Mick had put his appeal out to it as well. I mean, you know, I think we did play really, really well. Mick, Mick after the game was absolutely glowing. He he said we played really well. And I think even Phil Babb said, you know, after coming in eighteen. 18 months ago, this has been, This was a really poor team, struggled against Denmark and Aarhus and stuff. Um, didn't look as if we were going anywhere and Mick had turned it around quite quickly with those kind of same players. Yeah. I think McGoldrick played really well up front as well. Um, interesting again, Doherty didn't start this one. So he'd already kind of, probably from the Gibraltar game where he seen it didn't work, Mick's just clever and he just thought, I'm not going to force this now. We need to get a result here. What's going to be the best way of getting a result? Well, it's actually dropping Doherty and going with this other kind of back four that he played. So, yeah, it, it was good to see. I, it, but again, I just remember him pushing, pushing the lads on, like we were one nil up, and rather than
0: sitting back, because I mean the amount of Ireland games in, in the last decade or so, where we sit back and we concede late. He was saying, push on, push on, push on. Mm. So it was a, such a such a telling difference. David, you want to talk us through the April, so uh, hey. even even more, even more
1: drama in the John Delaney camp. Yeah, um, sit yourselves down, lads, strap yourselves in, it's going to be a bumpy ride. <laughs> uh, so April 3rd, um, sound very American there, uh, Sport Ireland Chief Executive John Tracy appears in front of the Arachtus Committee on Tourism, Transport and Sport he is not impressed by the failure of the FBI to issue an explanation for the 100,000 euro loan. He's not the only one. He declines to voice confidence in the poor of the FBI on three different occasions. Very strong stuff there. You, couldn't the, make this, you just couldn't make this shit off, could you? <laughs> no, it was just constant. It was. I, I lost track of it. it. It was just absolutely constant uh, stream of shit. Um, coming, <laughs> coming down a very steep hill very fast. Um, On the 8th of April, the FAI had missed the misleading statements about the €100,000 loan um, and said comments it made did not accurately reflect the board's level of awareness. The association says it has accountancy firm Grant Thornton on site to review its books, records and ledgers. Mm. On the 10th of April, extraordinary scenes at the Aeroctus Committee on Sport as John Delaney reads... a. prepared statement and then refused to answer any questions about the 100,000 euro check or 13 years as FEI chief executive. Anyone who has a short memory of this, um, basically, the FAI were dragged in front of the Eructis for our UK listeners, like Martin, um, <laughs> who doesn't know what the Eructis or can, can't pronounce what the Eructis is. It's basically... Quite frankly, a watered down shitter version of being dragged in front of the MPs over here in London. Now, in London, when you're dragged in front of the eight the MPs on that, uh, the committee or whatever it's called, they rip the asshole out of you, they absolutely <laughs> go to town on you. And they do, if you ever watched it, I remember you had your man yeah, with yeah. Sport, Sports Direct on it, he got absolutely annihilated on this, uh, Mike Ashley did. And the panel, they really go to town on you. It's really vicious. And you can say whatever you want because parliamentary privilege, you could say whatever you want about anybody within parliament rules, okay? Ireland, they had this wishy-washy Oireachtas thing, and it was a pile of shite, quite frankly. Um, You can be sued by uh, the person on the receiving end of this, and it was actually a case, and this was outrageous. Where uh, I think it was a TD or a senator asked something, or made a statement about somebody, and they successfully sued. This is all covered in uh, champagne football, by the way, which is outrageous that this can. Now, obviously, you shouldn't be able to abuse such a position, but if the if something's the truth or something happened, you should be able to say that. And I go back to the libel laws in Ireland, and unfortunately, this was a pile of shite. Uh, John Delaney was dragged in front of the Iraqis committee. This man should have been skewered. He should have been hammered into. He should have been lashed out of it. And <laughs> he takes. He should have been. And he what? And this way, he, he but, might have enjoyed it. He probably would have actually. Yeah. <laughs> well, we should. Well, we don't know. He did take a lot of cash out in the old <clears throat> company credit card, didn't he? Allegedly. <laughs> um. But instead, he takes a note out from his fucking mammy, right? And goes. I'm not going to t- answer any questions here today. I'm under legal advice. My solicitor uh, tells me that I I can't uh, answer any questions here because uh, that's just the way it is. And I went, okay, that's fine. What was the point? What was the point in it? This this guy had to explain. Um, I think yeah, thirteen years of being a chief executive, the FAI, and how this was like was a shit show, and he was just allowed to get away. And he just sat there while. Donald Conway, bless him. Now, uh, you know, a lot of guys were asleep at the wheel, obviously, on the board. We know that. Re Champagne football, the board, unfortunately, was very um, incumbent. Is that the word? Is that a correct word? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. They were very incumbent. Like, and John Delaney, from what you can tell from the book, it looks like Delaney had actually sort of maneuvered the board, and anyone that there challenged him was a threat or bite. just how dare they. Try and ask him um, Request him
0: to do his job It's (laughs) kind of like, I remember being in in School and we were talking about King Lear, we were studying King Lear And my English teacher at the time Said, Michael Jackson Was told forever that he was Right and that he was great and he was Never told no and he was never told he was Wrong and he started Believing his own hype and then he could do Whatever the fuck he wanted no matter how Fucked up it was because there was no consequences In his psyche it was the exact same for John Delaney exact same for John
1: Delaney well, well of course it was like he, he he had the board by the balls like he's were like oh yeah he's so man john yeah i know you're brilliant you are john um you know well i'm the only one who could talk to your wife in fifa Oh, yeah no john you do because there's too many people on that on that board that were, didn't know what they were doing they didn't have a clue um look the the fact you have a president the fact you have a president of the fai right and this isn't a personal attack in any president that we've had at the FBI, but it's just the structure of the FBI. This sounds like a bingo club or um, one of these, like, you get a lot of the, you know, the committee clubs over here, uh, Martin, like uh, like a conservative club or a working man's club, you know, when you have a committee mm. and you have a president, you know, uh, what, what not. This is an association that has a turnover of whatever million it is, okay? It's a couple, it's a few, it's something like, I think it's like 24 million. It doesn't matter. Once you have a million, involved. This should be a professional outfit when you are in charge of the game of football, the largest game in the world, most played game in the world, most played game in Ireland. You have these guys in charge of this. You need to get the top people to run this and they haven't. And that's why it's, football's in the state. It's in the fact that you have a fully professional <laughs> in inverted commas CEO who's on a massive salary and he has to answer to a president who is voluntary. And that's what people have to remember here. The president of the FAI back in 2019 was voluntary. They did not get paid. They had another job. Donald Conway was, a, I think, he was a principal, school principal at this time. i met Donald Conway. I think he's a very decent man, by the way, a uh, very nice guy. Um, however, you should not have somebody who is not professional. And then have somebody professional answer to that. OK, you should not like the CEO. It was just ridiculous setup. And he was—he ran rush shot over the board, and basically got away with murder, and that's why he was in the state he was in. And it just annoyed me, like, and, and evidently so, still annoys me that this guy then brought fronting directors, did all this that done all this damage, and he wasn't—he didn't have to answer a single question, didn't have to answer a single uh, answer a single question. And I think then in the book it says that the first half of this, um, I think they took a, yeah, he took a, a a fresh break or a refreshment break mm. and the you know, they asked the journalist, so how are we down at journalists went well, too, You're getting fucking your arse and the you. It's embarrassing. And then they went, Okay, you're right. So we'll start attacking John Delaney through other people and having a go at Donald Conway and having a go at um at other members of the board. I can't remember. He was the um what w- um, the uh, treasurer as well, the guy, the former guard, he was like uh, a ninety. Yeah, Eddie,
2: Eddie, Murray, yeah.
1: yeah. Uh, yet again, why? Why do you have a ninety-year-old man <laughs> as a treasurer?
2: Do, do you yeah. know
0: what uh, uh, that was that was Graham, wasn't the, it? That
2: the was the brilliant thing about this was, again, at the start of the show, we said about how this was the mad year in Irish football, and this sums it up basically. This whole day, um, amazing. Really, I mean, just to. Just to kind of help the hype and speculation about this was all, we thought this man was really under pressure now and he's going to have to spill and still he didn't, <laughs> which I kind of admire in a way because how he got away with it was incredible um, because he just, yeah, like he said, he pulled out his letter and he said, I can't answer anything about this bridging loan," yeah. and that was it And and so they couldn't and it's it just amazing. I mean, I, I felt so sorry. I mean, we actually watched this. Like, th- that's the sad thing. You could watch this live, and we and I did. So, um, and I remember just thinking, like, he. Other people here are being hung out to dry, and but then it was the, like, uh, the the cringeworthy Irishness come through to this when, you know, Healy Ray is it when he starts saying, you know, you all get the mother and mother and welcome, Michael Healy and, like, Ray. Turn yeah, right. and, just disgusting, wasn't it?
1: He, it was he, just disgusting. He was paid yeah. for that. He didn't need to be there, and he was there. He was supposed to ask a question, yeah. and he he goes on and he gushes towards, um, you know, John Delaney. Well, I see a man here. He made a statement. I see a man here who's only done his best to help Irish football, and yet tomorrow all welcomes when you come down to Kerry next. Man, how fucking dare he? He's been paid by the taxpayer to sit there to do that. doesn't need to be. He's a very wealthy man, fair enough. And Ruth Coppinger, um, she even had a golem as well, and rightfully so. And like, yeah, yeah. I, I just fairly so doubtless. Yeah, she was she was really good. But actually, just to touch on Eddie Murray again, right? Um it's in the notes. This this all happened, here. it's in the notes here. So he was the Honor- honorary treasurer, right? You have an honorary treasurer, okay, of an entity that's making millions. An honorary treasurer. Outrageous. Absolutely outrageous. You should be paid for this. You pay top people. If you're making top money, you pay top people top money to look after your top money. It's fucking simple. They have an honorary treasurer, right? No, that's not against Eddie Murray personally, but I think he was, oh, I think he was like 79 or something. And then he states that the FAI has only one bank account. I have about five bank accounts. There isn't any fucking money in any of them, but I've got five bank accounts. Turns out they had twenty four. Yeah. That's outrageous. Like Disgusting. and you know, and it was horrible that this poor man, you know, former form gardener the whole lot it was it was uh, martin, you, you you hit the nail on the head. This was Irish and said it's worst. ok? I look, I'm very proud to be Irish and all that, right? I really am. You know, I tell everyone I'm from <laughs> Ireland, and it' be no, no, I am, you know, I tell everyone from Ireland. And I'm very proud of it. I'm proud of our achievements. I'm proud of us as a people. But when you have but for whatever reason you have people in charge of things in Ireland that shouldn't have no right to be there. It's bad over here in Britain, but it's many times worse in Ireland. And this is just and it's you know, and then you have like Sport Ireland and the oh, you know, oh well the F E R this and that. Yeah, well where were you guys? You know? Like You knew this was happening. You knew, well, you didn't know the the absolute details, but you fucking knew that there was stuff going on within the FEI that things weren't right. And you just turned a blind eye to it because you didn't understand it. You didn't want to understand it. And then all of a sudden you're putting the kicks into football. And, you know, I felt bad for the good people at the FEI. I really did um at this time and there are a lot of good people at the fei and they all got turned with the same brush a lot of people working on fuck all money because basically the man leading it cut all their wages and never brought them back up again while he had his rent paid for
2: yeah you're right on that point because i think he you know there are decent people at the fei still are there now and, and they genuinely do have a love for irish football and want to see us do well whatever yeah. way they i mean that for a lot of people you know, even if you think about club football, if you were working for Man United or, or you know, even a lower league club or whatever it is, you do that in a way, you, you love the fact you work for that club, if you love the club or you love your country and you you think you can make a difference. I mean, that that's how football has always evolved um, as an industry. And this was a situation here where everyone was being tarred with the whole kind of corrupt brush. You know, I, I, I spoke to um, the morale within the FAI, was really really low at this time. People were embarrassed to kind of wear anything with the FAI logo on it. I think God, you wear, work for that shower, or oh, they they're all corrupt? Oh, your mates at this and stuff like that. You know, even supporters clubs. You know, we weren't. It, we we kind of got dragged into this kind of whole debate as well at times and stuff. There were statements released and things. It was it was just madness really because John Delaney was just looking for backing from people, and that's where I think the Healy Ray thing was. He was like he had a friend in there. I remember when watching that really cringing when, you know, it, the camera pans to Delaney and he's kind of got a wry smile on his face and it's, it's like he's embarrassed because of Healy Ray's over-the-top mother and father of all welcomes kind of quote. I mean, very clever that he basically, in this, this Oireachtas committee, where he is supposed to be accountable, he's pulled out this note, he references that every time, it's the equivalent to it being in a, a police inter- investigation where they're at interrogation where they're asking questions and you're going no comment, no comment, no comment. You can't really do that there so he pulls out a note on it and he can refer every answer to even other people then I can't comment on that, I've already pr- explained my position, I've explained my legal advice and stuff without any foundation, not actually showing you the advice he's got, he's just referring to it. So he got out of it, I mean Coppinger, Ruth Coppinger, brilliantly summed it up, you know, this is Hamlet without the Prince. That was it. A brilliant line, I thought, because yeah. that was it. You're, you're asking the questions, and the main person who is accountable for all this, because he's worked the angles that it's going to be that I'm the main man and I pull all the strings from the FBI, which we know was happening. That was it. That's why he had older people on committees and things. Thankfully, those days, hopefully, well behind us. But that's mm. why he, he was the main man accountable. They couldn't get to him. They just couldn't get to him because he protected himself so well.
1: And the uh, and that's just the Irish laws. That's that, that's one the libel laws, and 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 it just protects the wealthy and the greedy and the corrupt. Um, it's absolutely outrageous. I'll continue through the dates. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to go on a fucking rant there, but I, it winds me up because 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 football um, for a generation is irreversibly damaged for a generation and I'm gonna miss out on that and it's wrongs all because of this level of competence. And you know, anyway, we'll continue. Um, Basically, yeah, from that on the 10th, uh, Ferguson doubted the committee chairman um, or chair causing Delaney and the rest of the FAO board to step down. On the 12th of April, talks begin the FAI over the loan controversy and Delaney's future with the organization. The FAI's chief sponsor says it regards good corporate governance as being of the utmost importance. That is three. Excuse me, by the way. On the 13th, a friend of Delaney claims he has offered to step down from the FAI, but will continue his UEFA role. Uh, of course, he would. It is understood this offer to step down will be considered by the FAI. FAI board on Monday. On the 14th, the Sunday Times reports on Delaney's spending on his work credit card in the final six months of 2016. Yeah, I think it was like sixty grand or something, wasn't it? Or <sighs> somehow now insane. Without receipts. Now if you uh, if you have uh, if you ever have a company credit card you know, the basic thing is if you cash is a very bad you, you don't use it. You don't use cash. You don't use it to take out cash from an ATM. And I think that's what he did with the company card. And that is just a major, major no, no. Uh, but he did all that on the 15th. I'm at a growing sense of crisis around the association. Lazy Delaney goes on gardening leave on full pay while a number of investigations proceeded Abbottstown. Um, the thing is, people have criticized the FBI for that. They had no choice to really they, that's what he he had these guys over a barrel um he had absolutely no choice that they had no choice but to pay him this money which is outrageous but he got himself in a situation and they had to when you're on gardening leave that's all he could do you know don't come into the office don't talk to anybody in the office but you're 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 paid on um you're given full uh, coin to try and sound hip but that that you know that is just that's it's just like a like, bon- it's like a Bond villain yeah, um, but that is just how it is, you know. You play and manoeuvre to everybody, including the Irish government. Um, then on twenty fourth of April, Mick says the FEI issues have no bearing on the squad. To be honest with you, they're probably used to it at that stage, and that brings well, us. It was, in,
0: it, it was getting to the stage where every single international window was about John Delaney. Yeah, like it was just the just went with it, like whether it be him just piping up you know, trying to be involved and trying to be popular, whether it was a controversy, he was, he was maybe not the center of attention, but he was certainly one of the key focal points for every international window for a number of years. And it's pathetic, like, pathetic. I couldn't name the CEO of any other national team. I couldn't even tell you who the FAs is. No. Do you know, like, it's it's pathetic. And a lot of, and the worrying thing was, a lot of people could name ours, like a lot of people from other countries could name ours, and Sky Sports did a feature on them, and it was absolutely fucking pathetic, I actually wrote a complaint, and I must dig it out, I'm actually going to dig it out and screenshot it, and I must put it on the page, but I wrote a complaint to Sky Sports, they were basically following John Delaney around for a day, and it was almost like watching Mother Teresa getting followed around for the day, and then, you know, he's there picking his twins up from school, they were only small at this stage, and I was like, "Oh my god! Did they not realise this is about ten years ago?" I say. I think it was actually in the build-up to Euro twenty twelve. Was, was like, it as bad
1: as John the Baptist by the Independent? Yes, it was.
0: <laughs> well, that is gas. Well, it, it was. It was up there. It was up there. But it was. It was absolutely pathetic. I actually wrote. In, I actually wrote an email to Sky to Sky News, and I was like, "What are you doing? Don't promote this man. He, he's a, you know. He's up to. He's up to seriously bad shit. Even you, Nick." In, yeah, how old,
1: I know. how old were you in 2012?
0: Five? 2012, I was five, yeah. What, what age is I? I was even, ni- 19, 19, even, 20, 20, sorry. Right.
1: 20. so so as Nick says there, even in 2012, at the age of five, he knew <laughs> what John Delaney was about. And yet you got someone like Shane Ross going on. He's, he's a wonderful man. Everyone loves him. You know, everyone... I uh, never hear anything bad about him at all the League of Ireland games. <laughs> that that one solitary League of Ireland game that Shane Ross must have gone to for about five minutes and went, God, get me away from these people. Uh, he, he, heard, he didn't hear one bad thing about John Delaney at the League of Ireland, the man who called the League of Ireland the problem child of the FAI, um, which is just outrageous. You knew, we knew, we all knew... We couldn't write about it. People were gagged, and you know, and, and the government did as well. So a lot of blame to go around, and nobody comes out of the smelling roses. Nobody, and it, no winners from this at all. No God knows. Just thank God he's nothing to do with the association, and even now, they can't even get him to trial. But <laughs> well, we're still getting well, well, get well, emails. Well, no, well, I
0: don't know about that because we're still feeling the impact. Like we've no money. Absolutely no money. Yeah, and and it, I saw I saw something on one of the fan pages today or one of the fan groups today, um, someone selling like counterfeit jerseys because and you know obviously to make a profit, but also because they're anti FAI and they're like, why would you give money to the FAI? And no, maybe we don't want to give money to Jonathan Courtney, but but anyway, <laughs> argument argument for a different day, but this whole argument as well, like people are, it's turning people against the FAI, and in turn. They're not buying jerseys, they're not buying gear. And the result of that is that the FAI are short in pocket. Uh, all as a result of John Delaney's actions. So the lack of trust, the the, the lack of uh, the lack of respect, these kind of things have a much bigger impact that are, that are gonna last for years and years and years to come.
2: It does. I mean, th- that is the thing. It does have an impact on on all things, all those things you said. You know, we don't have a sponsor now. No one wants to be associated with us um we even like kids and stuff going through i know this is a i'm like a broken record on this but again who who d- do you want to bring your kids up playing football and wanting to you know giving them an island shirt or they're representing something that is perceived by a lot of the population to have been poorly managed over the years and stuff you know it, it, it will come down to hopefully results on the pitch lifting the nation and our players obviously doing that as well and getting, creating heroes. I keep saying that we need to do that. We need to jump on things like that, get kids behind it, get them demanding their mum and dads to bring them to games, do deals for families to be able to go and stuff. You know, the the days as well, you've got to remember this, that we weren't selling out the Aviva in a lot of these games. There was a lot of furore about um, tickets being given away to kids to make it look, you know, Delaney was famous for giving away tickets. Just yeah. to fill up fill, fill up the stadium and stuff to create noise, create an atmosphere. Brilliantly. That that's fine if you're doing that. But where they got that wrong is they were, you know, doing deals with like supporters' clubs or trying to get us to sell tickets on their behalf. At you know, people got wise to that. They thought, well, why am I gonna pay for a ticket now on these stupid duo deals they used to do? We used to have one we'd have a double header and one would be against a good team, someone and the other team would be absolutely crap. But you'd yeah. get a deal that you'd buy the two tickets, and everyone just got wise to it. And thought, well, what I'll do is I'll just I won't go to the other game. So you're encouraged to kind of give your tickets away, but they've done. The, they just couldn't sell out the stadium, and people lose faith with it. And that that's what they've got to get right now. That I know we're going off on a kind of tan you know, going off on a tangent here. But that's what they've got to get right now with the next season ticket package to get people back in the stadium. They've really got. It's a really hard sell at the moment though, um, for Irish football. I, I mean you know, we've had a big break of it now, but again, they've got to just get it right. I, I don't know how they're going to do it, but it's such a challenge for them now. And it will, it, so we are feeling ultimately the the, the outcome of this, that this, this shit show that was going on, and this is the start of it, obviously. We're still feeling that now badly, badly really, and feeling the pain.
1: Yeah, for sure.
2: David, a few other bits to, to kind of wrap up on, I
1: suppose, uh, Yeah, not a huge amount more. No, uh, 2nd of May, um... You have confirmed that John Delaney, executive committee member and youth committee chairperson, will not be attending the European Under 17 final stage in Ireland. <gasps> Poor John. A competition that was won by the Netherlands. And then, <laughs> I know. And then on the 20th of May, and this is probably last where we might as well wrap it up Noel Mooney is appointed interim CEO. yeah and um that's gonna open up a
0: whole can of worms and a lot of excitement for david but unfortunately (laughs) unfortunately, not in this episode but definitely in the next one so we're gonna leave it there uh for the first part of 2019 the craziest year in irish football if we as we've just decided at the start of the episode but uh, we will be back with part two David will be delving into his his um one hour of of magic in heaven with with Noel Mooney, with the, the luscious Noel Mooney. But um, you know, but we don't we, we don't have the energy really to to talk about that yet. So we're gonna leave it there. Um let us know what you think. Let us know your memories from from this year. Were you at any of the games? Did you um did you share a corporate box with John Delaney? Did he he give you any tickets? Uh,
2: (laughs) You know, the drill. I'm just trying to see. I I might read out my farewell message from him.
0: Full disclosure, full disclosure. So we'll leave it there and we'll be back next week. So take care and God bless.